Hope you're having a great day. The past few shows, we've been talking about using money as a tool to improve your family life. We've talked about things like managing money as a couple. We've talked about using frugality to make progress. We've talked about balancing the demands of being a physician and a dad. And we've talked about how to live more regret-free lives. The theme, which I'm sure you've noticed, is really about living life first and using money as a tool to help really facilitate this. I think this is such an important topic, especially with the cultural pulls that we're all feeling going the complete opposite direction towards materialism and more money is always better. You have to be intentional about this stuff. Like you really have to carve out the space to be able to think about it this way, where what's most important to you is the focus and you're using money as a tool to help make progress towards this. So today we're going to be digging into this topic a bit further and in particular talking about how you can start to teach your children about this specific topic and using money as a tool to improve their lives. So it's an important topic as it is, but especially with our children being our future, this is just, just a big deal. And as parents, it's a tricky topic to bring up. So, you know, maybe we aren't confident in our personal finance knowledge yet, or maybe we're you know, we've made mistakes or maybe we just feel like it's such an uncomfortable topic. We don't know how to bring it up. I think our guest today is going to be a great resource to help get you started in talking about this and talking about it in the right way. Our guest today is an author, an entrepreneur, and a real estate investor has been investing for a really long time since he was 11 years old, actually, which is he's one of the first people I've talked to that started investing before I did. I don't know how you start investing at 11 years old. He had to have had an adult involved. But anyway, he has two boys himself, 10-year-old Noah and 13-year-old Will, and they were part of the motivation behind his writing this book called The Golden Quest, The Fun Way to Learn About Money. And so he really has been leaning into this area of helping children to learn about money, and in particular, how to focus on what's most important to them first and shape their money around that. So our guest today is David Delisle. And so we had a great conversation about why it's so important to teach our kids about money. And we talk about some examples of how you can get started doing it today. And he shares why his book is such a great resource for helping us to get started now. I definitely enjoyed our conversation and I think you are too. So let's jump in without further ado. David, nice to be with you today. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and talk about money. It's like two of my favorite topics together we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about money, of course, and then parenting and raising your kids. Those are, I think, two super important topics. We're going to be talking about the two of them together and how we can better teach our children about money. David is in a unique spot. Like he, We're all, like I think his parents, motivated to help our kids. I mean, that's just kind of an eight thing. But David has kind of taken this thing to the next level and has been really, you know, leaning in on how he can better teach his children about money. And he has even recently released a book about how to teach your children about money. So maybe before we start to go down that, David, can you share a little bit about what got you going down this path of like really leaning into how we teach our children about money? So yeah, that's a great question for me. So I was that money nerd that was reading books when I was like 11 and getting excited about it. So I remember 
doing all those things back in the day, we didn't have index funds. So you'd read about different fund advisors and who was running different mutual funds, all the real nerdy stuff. And then as my boys were getting older, I just started thinking about like, what type of values do I want to pass on to them? What do I want to teach? And a lot of the lessons were around money because my views on money over the years, because they've evolved, are fairly unique. And then in doing that, I started just creating this this book of ideas that I want to pass on to them. And then it just evolved, evolved into a graphic novel, which is so fun because that's what kids are reading these days. They love their comics. I thought, how can I make this fun? Distill all that information to like, what are the key messages that are really important that even for an adult, if you get this, money's not going to be something that you stress over or worry about for the rest of your life. Yeah, my sons are reading the graphic novels and they're definitely super popular nowadays and it makes sense because they're very visual and you know stories and some of them even have like little short stories within stories so it's a really i mean it's an entertaining way to do things and i want to talk about it in a little bit and circle back to this but you know how you actually were able to do that while also teaching about money that that's something i'm thinking about but maybe before we get into that like you said there were some unique things about you and money. Can we talk about that first? Like what's unique about how you view money? So the big one is, so I've always seen money as like a tool, as a tool and a means to an end. Like I never thought of money as how many things I can buy, but what the money can do for me and thought of it in terms of like freedom and retirement, even at a young age. I didn't use those words necessarily, but I saw it as a means to an end in that sense. And then what I really discovered, especially in writing more and talking to more parents is, and we briefly talked about this idea of money, almost all of our conversations around it are how do I have more money, whether it's from the saving end or the spending end or the earning end, everyone's goal is how to have more. And not that there's anything wrong with having more, but I find it distracts us from the first lesson, which we should all be having is why you want more in the first place what really lights you up. And in the book, I refer to it as the awesome stuff. Like what's your awesome stuff? And what I found is if you don't really have a clear understanding of why you want the money and what really, what's important to you. And the only re- thing you know about is how to have more. It doesn't matter what plateau you hit. You're always looking at the next plateau. And so you never have enough. So this whole idea of like, what's your awesome stuff, the mindset piece around that I find is sort of key to really not have money be this massive stress in your life and you're constantly chasing. Yeah. If the end goal is money, that's doesn't money in itself brings zero happiness. Like it's just, of course you can use it as a tool to improve life, but like more money in itself does not change anything really. And in, in some cases it can make life worse. So I think, well, first of all, we're not necessarily doing a great job, in my opinion, of teaching our children about money, but probably even more important is we're not doing a great job of teaching our children about mindset or even values and even purpose and like what's most important. And I think we could do like six podcasts on that, by the way, but you've kind of bundled this all up. I, that's kind of my, the direction I have gone to with money is I, it, I think it's such a intertwined vehicle that if you're and if you're using it right you're using it more as like a catalyst to other areas of life but you have to get that 
life part first as the priority and, and really work on defining that. And I think that's a good foundation, but like, it sounds like you had this, like, men, did you have this men, mindset or mentality, like as a child, even? A little bit as a child. It's interesting though, that it's definitely evolved. Like even in the writing the book and talking about this more, I've noticed more and more how much money stays in the background and things have less value for me because mm. I'm talking about it all the time. I'm talking about what really important and what lights you up and what, you know, what's your awesome stuff. Mm. So more and more, I, those things have less value. So I had it a bit as a kid, but definitely it's grown. And that's why I love is, is this whole thing, the journey, and it doesn't, there's no judgment in it. So if your awesome stuff is, you know, expensive cars or expensive food or vacations or watches, it doesn't really matter what it is that lights you up. It's just really knowing, does it really light you up? Because it's the chase that I'm trying to stop. So as you're mentioning, like the money in itself, what people don't realize is there is no end to the chase. And all, all we have to do is look at, you know, our athletes and our stars and our, you know, billionaires. There are those people that are still chasing because there is no end to the chase unless they figure out what's really important to them. It doesn't matter how much money there is. If you're still thinking of money as the goal, you'll never have enough because there's always more you can have. Yeah. And money. Right. I mean, it also makes you lean heavily towards, well, I guess it depends on your lean, but like me personally, if I go all in on money as the priority, I'm going to just die like a rich old man. Like that's how, cause I'm a saver. I grew up as like with the scarcity mentality of like, you know, I have to be having resources so that I can, so that, you know, life's not stressful and whatnot. And, but if you just keep doing that over and over again, you never use any of your money <laughs> and you die a rich old man. And that's, yeah. nobody wants to do that. So I didn't, I wasn't as lucky as you to have that mentality early on. In fact, the other day I was looking at my goal setting from like early in my career, which is super interesting because it was like, <laughs> first goal, net worth, blah, 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 and make income, blah, blah, blah. It was all, <clears throat> they were all straight up money goals. And then I remember I had one on there that in a couple of years need to focus on like spirituality and relationships, which was, <laughs> it was like the classic backwards. You know, I was, money was the primary goal. And, but I had to kind of learn through it doesn't, you know, provide much or any happiness, but like with children, I think that's the op optimal time to start with this. How do you teach kids that mindset? Like, how do you start early with so it? So this is what's so amazing. And to be honest, like this is, I mean, I love the money stuff, as I mentioned, and I creating money and the habits to create money, but it's this conversation that we're having right now about like the awesome stuff and what really is important to you. That is the reason why I'm doing this at all. Like that's really what I'm passionate about because it is so incredibly easy when you start talking about it. So when I talk about the awesome stuff, like you talk to a young child. It's the same as talking to an adult. Like if I ask you what your awesome stuff is for a kid, like a lot of people just start thinking about like what I want to buy next and they get, get excited and think of all these big things. And that's, and that is some of it. But if I push you a little bit more, it's not that there's a judgment around it, but those things, like when you're really thinking about what your awesome stuff is, you can feel in your entire body. Like you can't stop smiling or talking about it or getting excited about it. So same with a child. 
as parents, like they might love Lego or stuffies or, you know, their bike. We all know our kids have certain things they love, but also we know as parents, like if we're out on a vacation and we forget something at the hotel, they're going to be devastated depending on what it is. Or if they lost something on a trip or, you know, or it got destroyed. There's those few items that we all know all of our kids have. That is the make or break for them. And that's their awesome stuff. The rest doesn't really matter. But if there's a fire, you're grabbing that thing because they're going to freak out if you don't or they freak out a lot. And it's sort of the same as that also. Just getting aware of what that awesome stuff is. And this is where it gets really fun as a parent because then if you're in a grocery store and they're, you know, pleading for a chocolate bar or you're at a fair or something, they want an ice cream, rather than, you know, telling them yes or no or trying to explain we don't have the money or getting in an argument with them as parents, which we tend to do, um, just ask them, is that your awesome stuff? And having the child stop, reflect and look at that item and just ask themselves, like, is this the thing that I love? And then after that, it doesn't really matter if they say yes or no. That's not important. The fact that they paused and reflected and really thought, do I even care about this thing? That happens even with a five-year-old. And then that, it, that same conversation continues for the rest of their lives. And so now they're hyper-focused on what really brings them happiness and what they really love rather than what they want in the moment. Yeah. This past weekend, I think about a money experience with my kids. They, my oldest son, he's nine and he wanted to have a job to earn money, which I think is fantastic, first of all. And so I was doing some pressure washing and I'm like, oh, you're old enough to do that. Like pressure wash the sidewalk. And then, you know, 10 bucks is what we decided. So he pressure washed the sidewalk for 10 bucks. And then the middle son is like, I want to do it too. And I'm like, okay, here's another one for you, $5 or whatever. And so they both did the jobs and did good, did a good job with it. And later on that day, they have their $15 and they're like, we want to go to the store and buy, my oldest is like, I want to go buy Pokemon cards because he's really into, very into Pokemon cards. And I'm like, okay, let's see if we have the time. And we ended up having the time. We went to the store. And then the middle son is like, I want to buy Pokemon cards because the older son wanted to buy Pokemon cards. And then the youngest son fell in suit with them and wanted to buy Pokemon cards because, so basically we have this, my oldest son wants to buy Pokemon cards and then all the kids want to buy Pokemon cards because of it. So I think there's a lot of money dynamics going on there. I probably missed some of them, but I ended up, letting them choose to spend all their money that they earned on Pokemons. Was that a good parenting move? Yeah, I just had something there. No, I was listening to that exactly. And that's, so that's the whole thing. Like, let the kids do what they want for one. Yeah. Like, it, it, there's too much judgment and money already. Right. But if the conversation was around the awesome stuff, they start reflecting because that's where I find my 13-year-old for sure already, like all the outside influence of what everyone's doing drives what he wants to buy and what he wants to do, where he spends his money. So if they don't sit on really what is important to them, they'll do, do that. Oh, my older brother's into these Pokemon cards. My other brother, like everyone's into it. So I should be into it. And then he realized like one might really be into it. And they I go think with their the friends. oldest, it was his awesome stuff. And then the two younger ones were just following his awesome stuff. And that's the thing. So it's not that Pokemon cards are bad. It's, for the youngest ones, if this isn't something that's their awesome stuff, what else could they be buying instead or spending that on that really makes them excited? Because now 
they spent it. So in the moment, they were excited. Like they spent it. They're, they're just like their, their older brother and they're hanging in there. But then a week later, when you realize these things are scattered around the, you know, their bedroom, they don't even care about them. They just, that waste, it's that reflection of like, well, is this, was this, is this your awesome stuff or is this your awesome stuff? And that's the thing is that same conversation, it's Pokemon cards from the five-year-old, but for the 30-year-old or the 40-year-old or 50-year-old, we can easily come up with a very similar conversation of those things and look through closets and like well, my some house. 30-year-olds are buying Pokemon cards. Well, that's true. They some 30 <laughs> but maybe it's their awesome stuff. I don't know, maybe. Or they're, maybe they're trying to make a living. You know, there's all kinds of... Yeah. But that idea of just, if you look around, just that awareness, you'll start realizing how much stuff you have that doesn't bring you happiness. And that's the thing. And that's what I found even in having these conversations more and more, like that's what you're asking as 11 year old, to some degree, I had that, but it constantly is evolving and changing. And that's the thing, it will evolve and change. But as you notice more and more of those things that don't really bring you happiness, you start realizing, well, what does? So like a classic example would be like a parent's like, you know, most important thing to me is spending time with my children. Where that's true or not, but that's a common, you know, you'll hear that often. But then you look at the lifestyle and the choices and all the decisions they're making and everything's the exact opposite of that because it's creating, you know, less time with their children because the lifestyle should fund that lifestyle and the work that's required. They have zero time with their children. So again, it's just this refocus of what really is important to you. And if, and it doesn't matter if time with children is more important or work is important or the lifestyle, it's knowing what is most important. So then you start gearing more towards that and not just working on autopilot and just figuring, well, I have to do this and I should do this. And this is what everyone else is doing. Like those shoulds and have tos are like the worst parts of it. Like as soon as we start saying that in our head or to anyone, we're down a path that we want to try to pull back from. Yeah. And that's what, as a financial planner, like our, we're always, our number one question people will ask is like, they're like, I just met you. How much should I spend on my house? is like a common question. I'm like, I have no idea. Like it depends is are, any good financial planner will tell you it depends to every answer if they don't know you, because that is the, the honest, true answer. Like really it depends on what's most important to you is what the, it depends on. That's how my view is of financial planning. Now, some people might say it depends on, you know, if you're financially independent or blah, blah, blah. But like, I think it depends on what's most important to you. And sounds like you're getting, <clears throat> helping to get your children or the intent behind the book is helping to get parents on in this routine of bringing up these conversations and in the routine of thinking about happiness first, money as a tool, right? It, exactly. Well, I'm building on those habits. Like the goal is if you had the right mindset and the right habits, money then fades in the background. So rather than being constantly aware of your finances and thinking about your finances and thinking about money and stressing over money, it fades into the background because the habits of investing and saving systemize those so you're not thinking about it. The habits of, you know, consuming systemize those in the sense of you're just in the habit of always looking at what brings you happiness rather than what you can buy. All of a sudden, you're living a life that isn't so focused on what can I buy next? And so back to like, even the conversation with my home, I bring this up a lot because really what they're asking is how much can I afford? 
in a house. That's really what they're asking. Not what should I spend or how much of a house, how much can I afford? Because what happens is people, their lifestyle grows to whatever money they have. So same with the home. So if I had more money, my house will be more expensive. And then if I get a raise and get even more money, then my house will expand again. And that's what happens. We grow into whatever we have. Same as my kid. But, he spent all the money he earned on Pokemon. And, exactly that's why, he, and that's why these lessons work for a five-year-old. They're, they translate to adulthood. And if we're constantly expanding to what we can afford, that's why we don't have anything left over and we're just chasing, chasing. Mm -hmm. And you'll see it. It doesn't matter what you achieve. Like, you know, I mentioned I'm semi-retired. I mentioned the semi part because there is, there is always more to have or that you'd want. If I had more, I'd buy something bigger. And it's the same with everything, including homes. So without first really re realizing what's important to you, you just automatically fall into that lifestyle inflation. And what I'm trying to do is avoid some of that lifestyle inflation. Because if you, if the question wasn't how much can I afford in my house, which is really the back sort of question of what's underlying that statement, but what could I use this money for instead? Like, instead of buying that expensive house, Priority. would you like to retire 10 years earlier? Would you like to ha travel more? Would you like to, you know, spend more on your parents? Right. And then all of a sudden, now we're having a different conversation. Right. Same thing is like with my son, it's like, instead of saying how many Pokemon cards can I buy with my 10 bucks or whatever, it's more like by spending $10 on Pokemon, what did you miss opportunity on? Like, what did you say no to by saying yes to that? Like, what are alternatives you could have spent money on? And is that in line more so with what's most important to you? I mean, the same thing as the house is the Pokemon cards. Yeah. And that's why it's so fun because as you're having these conversations with your kids, in a way you're actually having them with yourself and then you're starting to reflect on, Hey, I might not be into Pokemon cards, but what, where am I spending money mm -hmm. where it's not, it's, it's not returning value. You know, it is what's really important to me is traveling with my family. Okay. Well, what am I doing to make that a priority? Right. Or time with your kids. Like you said, like, is my calendar in alignment with my value? It's, I mean, you get, but so the book is called The Golden Quest, The Fun Way to Learn About Money. And I mentioned this earlier, the fact that it's a graphic novel. And I feel like that is got to be, I am not a gifted writer, but like, I feel like the biggest challenge for me seems like it would be making this be an interesting story while also sprinkling these money lessons that maybe not everybody's like money geeks like us that wants to learn about it. Like, how are you able to sprinkle in money lessons into a story and potentially for an audience that has zero interest in money. Yeah. I mean, really what you have to do is get really clear on your message and simplify it because there's no room to really expand on it. Cause if you think of like your typical comic, you've got those little, you know, balloon text character, like balloon text messages that you can only put so much in there. So it's not written like a novel or a book. It's written as a story and it's very conversational. So basically a young boy goes on a quest and on this quest, he meets different, you know, guides and mentors that teach him these different lessons. And so it becomes conversational. So even with this idea about the awesome stuff, we're talking about the lessons about the awesome stuff and the boy immediately starts laughing and talks about how everything he has is awesome and what's he even talking about. So then there's a bit of a banter back and forth of like, Okay, well, let's think of your room and all the stuff in your room and what's the stuff that you love the most. 
then the boy focuses on that and he's like that, like use like that's your awesome stuff. And it's sort of like this aha moment of the boy realizing like all those things didn't matter, but this one thing did. <clears throat> but it's very conversational without this long discussion of like me talking about what do you feel on the body and what is this? And here's some examples. Like you can't talk about all that stuff in the book and just really simplify it. And I try to as well sprinkle in nuggets. So like on a second or third or fourth reading, you, every time you read it, you'll pick up something new. And that's the thing is it's, you don't have to know everything about money or everything in the book the first time through. Just if you pick up a little tidbit or a little hint, that'll just help guide in the way you think about it and your perspective or some habits, then it's a win. So yeah, it's a, um, I found if you can keep their interest in a book, that is half the battle. And I think if it's a book about money, I mean, that's a huge win because I think as parents, a lot of us don't exactly know how to bring up topics that are like money's taboo and, or maybe we're like, I have not done so well myself. And like, I'm not a money expert. And like, there's all these like reasons we come up with that we're not going to bring up money with our kids. And so we just like, let it, you know, just be on the back burner, which ends up being the meaning that the kids get pushed by the culture in whatever direction the culture pushes them. So this book is a great way to kind of insert in the topic and get the conversations going that we all, I mean, most people agree this is a super important topic. It's like one of the most important topics. It's crazy. I like that you used the word taboo because that's exactly it. Like it's, we'll talk about sex, but we'll talk about money and how much we earn and what our savings is and how much we spent on our, you know, our home. And that's what's so crazy. And so when we talk about kids and just teach them about money, really the first thing I tell parents, which is so easy, is again, just having these conversations. And they don't have to be big conversations about how to spend or investing or the stock market. It can be as simple as this is how much this costs. No judgment in it, but you're going to fill your car up with gas. This is how much the gas costs today. You're going to buy groceries. This is how much the groceries cost. And those conversations can obviously change depending on the age of your child, but just that awareness of what things cost and what you're spending. Yeah. That's huge. Like we, there's no way we can teach the value of money if they don't know how much things cost. Right. Yeah. Like <clears throat> we somehow in our money, we had a lot of money conversations this weekend for some reason, I guess, cause we we're earning it and spending it. But my middle son was like, he was asking how much this truck costs. It was a really nice brand new truck. And I'm like, it's probably $70,000. And he's like, what? And then I'm like, but guess what? Do you know how much daddy's car costs? And he's like, no, I'm like $4,000. I'm like, which one would you want to drive? And he's like, I'll take the $4,000 one. This son would. But I think that's just a great little tiny nugget of information to have. But I could, you could feel that tinge of like, do I really want to talk about this topic with my kids? I mean, that's the cultural pull is like, just, we don't talk about this stuff. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's because there's so much judgment around it. And so when I try to have these conversations with my kids, I try to tell them like, let's, there's no right or wrong. Or if I'm biased, I mean, it's not to make you feel guilty for how much is being spent and don't go telling your friends necessarily like, oh, this is how much we spent on this and this is how much this costs. It's just for information for you. So you know what things cost because as parents were like, they didn't even appreciate like we you know, I just came back from Disneyland. You'd be like, they didn't even appreciate it. We spent this much money. Uh, a lot. But they don't know how much money you spent. Like, that's the thing is, 
if we don't tell them how much things cost, how can they, how can they recognize that, it's, that it was expensive? Like if we take them to one meal or another, like eat all your burger, like they don't know that that burger costs, you know, 30 bucks here and five bucks there. Like, unless we have those conversations mm -hmm. and then the beauty of those conversations, like you just mentioned with your son, like you, you might not even realize how simple it was, but in just telling him how much the expensive truck cost that he loved in your car without any judgment, all of a sudden in his mind, now there's a comparison. And that comparison now gives him a choice because before that, hands down, he'd be like, I want that big, like that fancy truck. Why would you not want that? But now you've given him enough information that now he might still want it, but it's changed the conversation in his own head mm. of what's important to him. Because well, your value like I could is buy 70,000 Pokemon cards with the difference. Right? Which is and that's, <laughs> and that's exactly it. And that's what we need to do as adults as well. What could you buy with the difference? Because if you're just looking at fancy objects and thinking like, I like that, I like that, I like that. We all like those things. But what do you really love? Like what's the, because there's a cost to everything. And same with a truck. You get that truck. Does that mean, do you have enough room in your driveway or do you have to get rid of your other vehicle? Or can you get two, is two trucks better than one? Is three trucks better? Like as soon as you start recognizing the cost and the opportunity cost and what else you can be doing, like you said, 70,000 Pokemon cards, that changes the conversation. And that's what we need to do is just no judgment, but change the conversation. Because if we don't change it, we're just going to be led by this consumer culture where there is no end. And that's the thing is, if I knew there was an end, if me as a financial advisor could give you enough good advice that you would reach the end and have enough money that you can buy all those things and your life would be complete, I'd be having a different conversation. I'd be pushing for that. But the reality is there, there isn't, there is not an end if that's the path you're going down. Yeah. There it's a never ending. It's like the rat race. I'm curious. So we talked about like spending and the lifestyle creep and cultural pulls. And I'm curious how you, I know you intertwined the concepts of saving and giving. So, I mean, you can either spend your money, give it away or save it. Right. So like, I know you inter intertwine the saving and giving components. I feel like at least when I've had conversations with my kids, sometimes those are harder. They always want to get the Pokemon cards basically. You know what I'm saying? So it's always not always, but like that is very strong pull. So I'm curious how you intertwine this, these other components of like giving and saving and balancing in living, you know, in the, in the now. Yeah. So that was a tricky concept for me. Cause you mentioned like you grew up with a scarcity mindset. I did as well. Like I always felt like, you know, there's this money, if I give it away or if I don't have it, then I ha like, I'm going to struggle. I have less. And so this was a tricky concept, but there's a lot of research around giving and not only is giving the kind, like we all of us know that giving is a good thing to do and it's a generous thing to do, but paired with that, there is research and science showing that the more you give, the more that comes back to you. Some of it's intangible, but it can be financial as well. So there's this real reciprocation of giving and becoming richer. And so I really want to try to figure out a way to, to show that or play with that for kids. So exactly. And I love that you mentioned this idea of like the giving and like they, they want the Pokemon cards because that's the same conversation that happens in the book. The kid's like, if you give your money, you'll have less. Like that's just the nature of giving. 
you give and you'll have less. But the whole chapter in the story is around having more by giving. And so they explain how like they start showing how like just the act of giving and, and all of a sudden they felt richer. And then as they felt richer, the people they helped, they became richer. And then those people helped them. And then basically it shows how this simple act of giving in the small town reciprocated and flourished where everyone started becoming richer and it came back and the person who gave initially their business grew and the people coming to them grew and their orders grew and all of a sudden they had more money than they knew what to do with. So they gave more of it away and it just sort of shows a version of how that simple act of giving can reciprocate and come and it's not always a, you know, a net zero in giving and all of a sudden nothing comes back. Yeah. I agree with the giving. I think the, like you said, the research around it, I think I've seen some stuff that says like giving has the best return on investment, like as far as happiness of anything you can do with your money, which is super interesting because it's like, I'm as a financial planner in our day job, we tend to kind of really try to carve out savings. We're always talking about, you got to save for retirement, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about as an industry, you financial advisors and planners are always talking about saving for retirement. But like, if you really are looking at it, like, how can I help people improve happiness? Then really we should talk about, be talking about giving first. Same thing for our kids. If we buy into this like research that says like giving has the best return on happiness of anything you could possibly do, then we should really be prioritizing that first and, you know, and then savings. And I personally think that those two things are delayed gratification kind of things. Like giving doesn't return immediately, or sometimes you just takes a while and it's just like, it's just a delayed gratification thing is the way I look at it. Same as savings. So you kind of have to just like carve them out and like call it a day and, you know, buy into the long-term compounding of delayed gratification. That's kind of how I've viewed it. And I've tried to teach my kids. I'm like 10% or something, you know, I'm like X percent, like get it out and it will serve you well in your future. But maybe there's a better way to do it. I don't know. I mean, there's no right or wrong. I mean, systemizing it always makes it easier. Just being aware that there is power to give that will come back. And it's, and it's neat because you see like a good example. I just mentioned we were just on this trip and we're in Disneyland and when we walked into the park, I think it was like Mickey and Minnie's birthday or something. So we were, we got this free pin and like my, especially my 13 year old, like he loves collecting and having stuff. And he's just, he's constantly just gathering things. So he's got his pin and he likes his pin. But later in the day, there's an older lady just asking someone else about this pin and where they got it and about it and how of it. And, Cause she didn't have this pin. And my son just saw that, walked up and just said, Hey, you can have mine. Just gave him her pin or his pin which the simple act of giving cost him nothing. It wasn't a financial, but it was just, I love that he just saw that and did that. But I didn't really mention it to him when it happened later, but this whole idea of coming back the next day, he was just in lineups for a ride, just sitting there looking around and he noticed this pin just discarded in the plants. It was the same pin. He grabbed it all of a sudden, like he had the, he got his pin back that he'd just given away the previous day and it just it was that fast it came back and it's noticing some of those things there is a lot of that like once you start doing things like that it you will notice your business growing or someone coming to you or something coming in the mail or just mm -hmm. there is a real interesting 
energetic reciprocation to that act of giving. And again, in the book, what I really try to do with money is have zero judgment. So I've mentioned that a few times because we judge so much with money. These are all just ideas to just a slight, just the awareness of, hey, there might be another way. This might be a thing. So I'm not telling kids you have to give. I'm just saying giving can create more wealth. And this is an example of how that can be. Whether or not they want to do that, it's up to them. Like I obviously I'd love that they start giving more, but this is just showing just, again, that conversation we're not having with kids or adults or anybody, just having a conversation around money and showing that this is a thing. To me, that's my goal of the book is just awareness of here's some alternatives. Here's another way of thinking about it. It doesn't have to be all you've heard from the media. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's why it's so good. And you have this, I like the way you worded money mindfulness. I think that's just a good way to, this concept you talk about in the book, it's like having, helping to improve our kids' mindset and view of money is, that's where the needle is moved. Like we're, we can teach them about like interest and rate of return and all those kinds of things. And those are important too, but like helping them to realize money is a tool and to help them live a happier life. And it's not all about the pursuit of more. I mean, I think that's a super valuable thing because the culture is going to be pushing them the other way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's accelerating in that direction. Like the metaverse itself is accelerating in that direction because that's an area where we take everything that we're used to in the physical world, we take it digitally and then assign values to it. So your digital shirt, your digital hat, your digital shoes, we know how much those are worth and how rare they are. And so everybody's trying to like spend in this digital world where the thing doesn't even have physical a physical value. value. Like it doesn't even have a physical value. I mean, more people, like these games that kids are playing now, they don't spend money on the game. They don't spend money on the characters to make them stronger or better. They spend money on how the characters look. That's the business model. And so it's, we're moving into a crazy world where we need at least a little bit of pushback against you know, these things that don't actually have any physical value. It's all about perception and that's the value. Yeah. So the book, once again, it's called The Golden Quest, The Fun Way to Learn About Money. And I would encourage it for really everyone with children, I think is it's such a good thing. There's so few books, I think, that are written on exploring money with your kids. And I think anyone should that has children should, you know, give this topic a try and try this book out and explore it. And especially someone like me, like I got boys that already read graphic novels. That's like a home run. You know, they're already kind of doing their thing there. And, um, and they're going to be like, Oh no, not another day. Cause I sit them down and have like a <laughs> spreadsheet conversation about money. And that's not usually the most productive cause they start getting bored real quick. And unless they're just total money geeks like us as a kid, I probably would have liked somebody to sit me down and like show me like the spreadsheet and like, return on investment blah 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 but like most kids are just like you know trying to have a good time and like be around their friends and that kind of thing so this kind of thing can really like you're i love it that you're like leaning into what's most important to them in the fact that the way that you wrote this book even for sure yeah that's exactly it because i find i mean it's rare to find a money nerd most people at any age don't want to talk about this stuff so i try to make it as simple as i could and I mean, it's great for younger kids, you know, five to 12 is really a target demographic. 
but even like, I'd love to see this for, you know, high school grads or kids just going off to college. Like it's a great way to just remind yourself of these simple habits and then incorporate them into your life and in a fun way. So even if you don't like the spreadsheets, which 99% of the people don't, this is a good way to just get these concepts in an easy way. So yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to do. Yeah. Well, I love it. Well, uh, David, as we wrap up, um, any other sources or suggestions, I guess maybe where can people find you first of all, and any other suggestions or resources for parents? Yeah. So you can buy the book on Amazon It's called the golden quest. My website, you can buy it directly as well. It's the awesome stuff.com. I build everything around this concept of what is your awesome stuff and only buying nice. the awesome stuff. So the awesome stuff.com as well. I'm on TikTok and Instagram under that same handle, the awesome stuff. And I'm right now in the process of putting together a conference for families next year, end of next year, about this time next year, where you could come with like your kids and your grandparents and sort of learn this experiential event, just these basic concepts and start having these conversations. Because that's really all it's about is starting the conversations. It doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't have to include math. It doesn't have to include spreadsheets, just awareness and having these conversations. That's all we need to start doing. That sounds interesting. A conference to talk about money with an intergenerational. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm super excited about that. We're still in the early stages. That definitely doesn't exist. Yeah. No, it doesn't exist at all. And I love the idea that we want to create it as a game. So each family gets a set amount of money and then plays this game, but you're not playing amongst each other. You're playing as a family amongst other families. So then you're going to have that conversation like your three boys. They're going to be arguing about like how to spend the money. Then you're going to be there. Then maybe your parents will also be there. So just having, seeing all these values sort of collide and just Mm -hmm. enforces some of these conversations. Why should we be doing this instead of this? And yeah, no, I'm super excited about that. I love it. Well, David, thanks for joining me today and coming on. I love talking about this topic. We could talk about it for hours and hours, I'm sure, and days and days. But I appreciate you chatting with me about it today. For sure. No, I love being on here and like same. I love these conversations and this is a passion of mine. This is why I'm here is this because I'm wanting to get this message out and have people just have these conversations. Well, I appreciate your work. Please know that anything I've said today in this podcast should not be considered advice. It is completely for educational and entertainment purposes only. It would be best to view me as just another guy talking about money on the internet. For advice, please consult your advisors. If you don't happen to have a financial advisor already, I happen to know a firm that's absolutely fantastic. It's actually the firm I started and currently run now, Ren Financial Planning. And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting. You can find more info about us at www.renfinancial.com.